Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. They set something on fire, getting everybody to come out, and then they're opening fire on all on of them. women and children, too. Yeah, it did not matter. And the fact that this is all their family. Like, this is the LeBaron group, right? This is a group of a 1,000 people. Then there's this 100 out of them that are going and trying to wreak havoc on the rest of them to make them completely fearful after they kill their prophet. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for nine years and have two awesome kiddos. Yes, we do. Today, we are going to be talking about Daughters of a Cult, Episode 1. Yes. Thank you so much for everyone who has been recommending this. Um, this one's an interesting group because the LeBaron group that was in Mexico that this whole show is about... They're fundamentalist Mormons, but most of the breakoffs in Utah, or like the FLDS, like Sam, a lot of them came after Brigham Young had come. So it was Joseph Smith, then Brigham Young, and then it was a couple prophets from there as they outlawed polygamy that all these branches of fundamentalists broke off. But the right. LeBarons are different because they are directly from Joseph Smith. Right. So they, yes, they believe, and they even had this connection with Joseph Smith way back when, and they believe that after Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith passed his keys, his priesthood keys, on to Benjamin Johnson. And then from Benjamin Johnson, they were passed to Alma, yes, Alma LeBaron, and then from there down the LeBaron line. So it's, it all kind of started in the very, very beginning yeah, it's interesting. Again, because most of the branches, I feel like, don't really break off. There were definitely break-offs from Joseph Smith, don't get me wrong. But most of the polygamous branches, you know, from Joseph Smith, we have the RLDS, mm -hmm. who never practiced polygamy. And now known as the, the community, community of, of Christ. Christ, yes. Yep, and they never practiced polygamy. And then you had the Rigdonites, I want to say. There were a lot of break-offs at the beginning, but the biggest difference is it seemed like Brigham Young was the main one who still practiced polygamy and came to Utah, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that there's this other faction, the LeBarons, that do also believe in the law of polygamy is kind of really interesting and unique. Well, the interesting thing about the LeBarons as well, which I don't know if anyone else has talked about this, and maybe we need to do a more of a deep dive on the history and where to. they came from, a video just about that, which maybe we can do. But the LeBarons ended up in Utah as well, which makes me wonder if they ended up kind of following Brigham Young a little bit. Because a, a lot of them ended up in Utah, and then also a lot of them moved to Mexico, as we know. But for some reason, they ended up in Utah as well, which makes me wonder. And they also had some connections with other fundamentalist groups, like Rulin like, Allred. Like Allred, the Allred group, or the AUB, better known as the AUB. But it just makes me wonder if they continued on pretending to go along with Brigham Young for the first bit. Yeah, so... If there's somebody that we can talk to about the history, that knows the history more, leave in the comments so we can go that direction and maybe talk to someone who's more knowledgeable. We definitely do want 
to do more research ourselves as right. well and, and kind of get to the bottom of where they came from because most of the fundamentalist Mormons, they can trace their roots back pretty easily. It's like a big family tree, like Joseph Smith at the bottom and these different branches yes. and it branches out. And so where the LeBarons exactly fit, whether they're kind of going along with Brigham Young for a little bit and then branching out or if they are straight you know, another group from Joseph Smith right from the beginning. Right. Um, and we find that really intriguing. Most fundamentalist groups that I'm familiar with, I know for sure the FLDS, were very proud of the knowledge and that everyone knew exactly how their line took them directly back to Joseph Smith because they all seem to be very proud of coming from Joseph Smith, right? Oh, yeah. And that he was this, this amazing person that restored the gospel on the earth. And so for the FLDS, for example, we had the pictures of the prophets on our wall so that we knew exactly you know, who it went all the way up to Joseph Smith and how that line worked. So I don't know, maybe some other people, if you are from a fundamentalist group, was that the same for you? It seems like it was pretty common. I feel like priesthood lineage in general. So priesthood was restored to Joseph Smith, the power of God. Like he had angels come down Mm. to him and bestow the power of God back on the earth after what they call the great apostasy, right? Like there wasn't the truth. There wasn't the power of God on earth. And then Joseph Smith received that power from angels. And that's what we mean when we say priesthood. But I would say even within mainstream Mormonism or all Mormonism, the idea of like a priesthood lineage as well, the importance of the priesthood and the keys, every single person, every, well, not person, every single man that receives the priesthood, because women can't have the priesthood, every single man can lean, like, they also have a lineage and you can know exactly like, okay, I got it from my father, my father got it from this and all priesthood leads back to Joseph Smith. Well, and then they go even further than that. And they say, and Joseph Smith got his priesthood keys from, you know, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ and then Jesus Christ and then all the way back to Adam, you know, they all can trace their priesthood back to the very beginning. So I think that that, the fact that like, even the mainstream LDS church, I feel like all Mormonism really holds a lot of stake in this idea of the lineage of power, mm-hmm. the a lineage of not only priesthood, but prophet lineage, the holding of keys and who's given keys, which are just special priesthood authorities. You know, they call them keys, but it's just, okay, now you have the power within the priesthood to do the X, Y, or Z. Right. You know, so there's a lot of lineage involved within Mormonism overall. So that's what we mean when we say like the LeBarons, We'd love to learn more about where they believe they got their keys, where they believe they got their priesthood, what their lineage looks like. There's a lot of right. ancestry lineage stuff that goes into Mormonism all the time. Right. But, but back to the show here. <laughs> yeah, so, is that a long intro or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's interesting stuff. And I think it's important to kind of know how important it is for these people to feel that they have a direct connection to the authority above them and the authority above them and yeah. on, so on and so forth. Because a lot of people uh, that we've talked to, at least within different Christian beliefs, they, you know, what's important is that they have the power here and now and that they believe and follow the word of Jesus Christ and, and the, the teachings, word of God and the, the Bible, word of God yeah. and the Bible. Yes. But for them, it was almost, I mean, yes, important, but almost more important to know that their priesthood lineage is correct and accurate and that there is no fault along the line to make sure that what they hold today is the 
priesthood or otherwise known as the power of God given to man on earth. Yeah. And it, it definitely gets into it here in this first episode because they talk about the one mighty and strong and what that mm-hmm. means and who has it. And so we'll kind of start getting into the documentary a little bit. Obviously, it's focusing a lot on Ervil and his brothers. They do again in this show. They're showing a family tree, right? Because it's a little confusing without one. <laughs> yes. And showing that the brother of Ervil, Joel. Joel. He who, was mm-hmm. the one that was called the one mighty and strong. And now that's a reference to which scripture is it that talks about the one mighty and strong? Oh, boy. They even always... mentioned it. I think they mentioned that scripture in the episode, but I, I don't remember. Okay, I found it. It's in DNC 85, verse 7. And it shall come to pass that I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand, clothed with light for a covering, whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words, while his bowels shall be a fountain of truth to set in order the house of God and to arrange by lot the inheritances of the saints whose names are found and the names of their fathers and of their children enrolled in the book of the law of God. I was always taught that the one mighty and strong was Joseph Smith. What were you taught? Who the one mighty and strong was? Uh, Warren Jeffs. <laughs> really? Is that who they thought? Like I, I think that ultimately it came down to that, yes. But I don't remember in the FLDS being taught anything specifically about that scripture okay. that, that I can remember. Maybe it was talked about. Maybe I just wasn't listening and was thinking about butterflies during that lesson. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know for sure. Well, in the mainstream, like, I remember hearing the words, the one mighty and strong. And in my mind, from what? From what I'm remembering from Sunday school being taught, it was that that was Joseph Smith himself because he was restoring God's church. But obviously, in this case, they interpreted that as the one who's going to bring in the second coming being Joel. So Joel was now the prophet and leader of the church. But all of the brothers had their roles. They talked a little bit. They went over polygamy, which we talk a ton about on our channel in general. So we won't go super into that doctrine because it's very clear. Fundamental Mormons... You know, Joseph Smith practiced polygamy, believed that it was necessary, Mm -hmm. and down the line, eventually, the mainstream Mormon church said, no more polygamy, and fundamentalists that go back to Joseph Smith's teachings most often end up with polygamy. Right. But I thought it was funny when they said, like, uh, all the kids were around and they were trying to figure out how many kids were in the family, like (laughs) how many children Ervil had, and they're like... Polygamous math is really hard. <laughs> I can relate to that. I feel like I, I always try to remember exactly how many siblings I have, and I have to go back and count them sometimes because I'll do one episode and I'll say, yeah, I have 35 siblings, and then another episode, and I'm like, 35, 36, 34? Somewhere around there, 30-something. Is it 35 with me? Is it 35 without me? Like, is it's, it 35 it's, siblings? It's <laughs> hard to remember. When it's a polygamous family, there's a lot of mothers, there's a lot of children, a lot of things that can just make it difficult to calculate perfectly. Yeah, there are definitely similarities, of course, when you they're in a polygamous group. Um, they were a very standalone community within Mexico, right? They said the nearest town was like an hour away. And we're like, oh, Sam also grew in a community that was separated, you know, kind of more isolated, not right. nearly as much. We as had running water. Were. We had running water and electricity. So not to the extent that they were by any means. And it seems like I'm assuming they uh, ran to Mexico because of the polygamy, right? Yes, that's because what they said, because it's not it illegal Ill- in Exactly. Mexico, yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure I heard that right. Yeah. They also said they're like, their house was raided by the FBI multiple times, and they didn't realize until they were older that like, they just always grew up being in fear of the law. And that also reminded me of your childhood. 
because they were saying that they always feared the police because so much. Yes, we were definitely throughout the community. There was a lot of fear of police, especially outside police, because within the FLDS, there were FLDS police as well that were also obeying the commands of Warren Jeffs and Ruthen Jeffs before him and the prophets. So that made things interesting to, to one extent we felt that we could trust the FLDS police and, and, but not the outside police from there. So Mm -hmm. that was a little bit unique, but also it was unique for my family specifically because my father being the mayor of the city there, it was a little bit, we had a little bit more of a connection to uh, law enforcement and the outside world than maybe a lot of the other families did. And so I think because of that, it wasn't so much all outside law enforcement is wicked and evil necessarily. It was a little bit more talked about as, you know, maybe we met with so-and-so and this person is actually a good person, but because he works for the government, you know, maybe he'll try to do something that that, that is against God's church and, and that. But it was just a different circumstance within my family specifically because of the different roles that my family played. Yeah. And while they were scared of like the FBI raiding their home specifically for you, it was more the FBI raiding the community like they did in what was it? The fifties. And yeah. then they also, the FBI did raid one of your church meetings. As they well. did while I was there that time. And once again, though, so here's the interesting thing about being afraid of the law. When you're in a group like the LeBarons or the FLDS, you are afraid. You are afraid of the law, but you're more afraid of God. And because you believe so strongly that God is in charge and that he is the one running every aspect of the church, including telling the leaders what to do, you're not really that afraid that the law enforcement is going to overpower you somehow because you felt, or at least I felt, that God wouldn't allow that. Because you probably heard of these stories in the early days of the church of the early days of the Mormon church, there was all of these miraculous stories told about how God would would close the eyes of the wicked so they couldn't see certain things and they couldn't see certain people. And God would just put a veil over their eyes so that they couldn't see them and then they would walk mm-hmm. away free. And I just assumed that the same type of thing would happen, that if they ever did see Warren Jeffs, that they just he would be right there, but they couldn't see him, or maybe he would look like a different person. So when the news came out that they caught him, and uh, on the pictures, it looked just like him in a t-shirt, surprisingly, <laughs> it was it was hard to swallow. Yeah, I remember that, about the the plates being in the barrels when mobsters came and tried to the get early, the plates in the early days in the early with days, Joseph Smith, yeah. right? And people came and they tried to look in these barrels of, was it corn or wheat or something, barrels of something, and Joseph Smith had hidden them in the barrels and the people searched and searched and they couldn't find it. So I know exactly what you're talking about with the idea of these miracles that like the Lord's church is going to prevail no matter what. And that's something that we're promised. And so nothing can really stop it. Yes. All that being said, the LeBaron children probably felt similarly when the FBI showed up at their house. They probably were concerned about what was going on, but not necessarily afraid that they were going to be harmed in any way because they've. I assume, thought that God would protect them. Yeah, absolutely. They also talked about the fact that, you know, there were really good people led to do horrible things. Mm. And that's something that we kind of talk about a lot is that most of the people in all of these groups are good people trying to do the best they can. However, once you slowly, bit by bit, get to certain points where you're willing to do this or you're willing to do that, you can be 
like the frog being boiled in water, right? Like you can slowly but surely end up making choices that you would have never made on your own because you've been led down this path. And I think of, as an example, like some of the mothers that we talked to, like um, Erna Black, Mm -hmm. had talked about the fact that she looks back now and the things that she said as a mother to her children breaks her heart now. She's like, I would have never been that kind of mother, but I was in so much fear and so much pressure and under the circumstance where I was worried that if my kids didn't act perfectly, then they were going to take the kids away from me, that I was the kind of mother that... I wish I hadn't been, you know, so that's the same type of thing. When I heard this, you know, really good people led to do horrible things slowly. And in the case of the little barons, as you saw, if you watch this first episode, they, I mean, murdering people Mm -hmm. is, is what, is what it ultimately, ultimately came down to not to mention the, the forcing the women and the children to do things uh, especially the young girls to marry older men that they had no desire to be with. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, all of these things going on and then ultimately murder even that just, I, I mean, I'm not saying that other things like that don't happen in other, other small groups like the LeBaron group. Maybe it does. I don't know. I know that me personally, I didn't see that in the FLDS and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. If others did experience that within the FLDS, I am horrified to even think of that, but, but it's possible. Yeah. And, but I will say some of the, another similarity to the FLDS and the similarities between Ervil and Warren Jeffs in particular mm-hmm. is the separation of families, right? So yeah. Joel's still the prophet. Ervil is the one accepting the tithing money right? Man, it's interesting. The people who are in charge of the the tithing money and he's starting to tell people that he's receiving revelation and that he is separating husbands and wives saying, you're supposed to be my wife, but your husband will be okay. Cause I'm going to give him these two, two other, other women. women so that I can justify taking his wife. Yeah, can exactly. You, I mean, can you, I'm like, it's just so frustrating to see, but again, it's the same. It was the same thing in the FLDS and not necessarily like bargaining chips, but that's what it was. Even though I think Warren maybe hit it a little bit better that that's how it was, but he would kick husbands out and have them marry this person. We don't know what his reasoning behind it other than just power moves. other than power moves mm-hmm. was right now you belong to him you are now his wife this guy over here now gets these two wives separation of the like the family unit i feel like is one of the biggest power moves and control things that you can do right and sam and i were talking about I'm like man these women must have really looked up to him spiritually though because to be able to go along with that and say okay i now am not going to be married to my husband who i probably married they didn't really talk about whether or not they were all arranged marriages but um because they didn't mention i guess that they probably got to pick each other okay i'm no longer married to him and ervil says i'm his because he received revelation they must have believed in him spiritually as a spiritual leader to go along with that. Mm -hmm. You don't give up your husband and get married to some random other person. If you don't have a deep spiritual conviction that he's speaking for God or that he's receiving revelation from God. Um, Yes, that's true. But they also, are you referring to before, before, Before or when he went to be a prophet? So when, so when Joel was still the prophet. Okay. Yes. Well, during that time, I think that they definitely just looked up to him as, as a man speaking for God. 
Yeah, which again, where he's not the prophet in this case yet. He wasn't even the prophet and he was doing this. So much so that Joel excommunicated him and was yeah. like, you are getting out of control. You're not working. You're using the people's tithe money for your nice car, your fancy stuff. And he said, you know, this we can't let this happen anymore. And he excommunicates him. Right. But because he was a member of the family that was in charge of the group, mm-hmm. I kind of relate this to Warren Jeffs. You know, people looked up to him and respected him because he came from that family and held some kind of power. And so they felt that they needed to obey him. Absolutely. And uh, that's, I I feel that in some ways, that's kind of how it was with Warren Jeffs. A lot of people didn't think that he was going to be the next prophet, but because he held that last name and held that power, people felt that they needed to obey him. Yeah, I was actually surprised when they mentioned the fact that Joel's followers was about a thousand people. So it's a very small, like when they say like LeBaron family, like a very small group mm-hmm. of a thousand people and only a hundred followed Ervil, right. right? And so that again shows like how extreme, like the LeBarons were already kind of off the map, definitely more out there as far as their beliefs, but still just polygamists trying to do the best they can. And then here's this one guy who takes it to that next level and takes it to this other place. But he has such a small group that he's fighting for it. It reminded me a little bit of Samuel Bateman in the FLDS. Now, granted, Warren Jeffs as the main prophet already crazy doing horrible, horrible things. But in this case, where there wasn't leadership, Samuel Bateman ended up with about 100 followers. Right. He tried to get a lot more, but they weren't following. A lot of people didn't agree with him. Just so. like Ervil, right? Yep. Ervil wanted everybody to follow him. People weren't falling for his crap. He gets 100 people. He's upset about that, and he's mad that everybody's still going. Samuel Bateman, he ends up about 100, starts taking underage brides, like very underage children. And thank goodness law enforcement in the United States stopped him fairly quickly, I want to say, as mm-hmm. soon as they were able to prove and he's, what he did. And he's currently awaiting trial in that. So a lot of information about Samuel Bateman is not really available at this point, other than the fact that he was caught and that he is awaiting trial now and, and that he was being very immoral and doing things that just... Doing horrible things horrible to things. children. Horrible um, But for you that are wondering, I I don't know if you're aware or not, but Samuel Bateman was raised in the FLDS church as well. And then after Warren was in prison for many, many years, he tried to stand up and claim to be a prophet. That's that's who he is. Yeah. So it reminded me a little bit of that, where you have a small group, right? They're already a small group. And then you have an even smaller splinter off from there Mm -hmm. with a very power-hungry, evil man. Right. And so Ervil goes and starts his own group. But because he has such a small following and he's so jealous of everybody else, he starts bringing up blood atonement, which. Uh, yeah. And the, the fact that they can even use something that they find within the scriptures to justify murder, mm-hmm. that that right there is a sickening thought. But the extremes that people will go that are clearly not right in the head are very jealous are power hungry, don't want to work themselves, want to force everyone to do everything for them. And then you end up with people like Ervil. Yeah. So under the banner of heaven, right? mm. Um, Same type of thing. They were, had a hit list. It was blood atonement. And it's definitely the, I don't want to even call it doctrine, but like the theology and the ideas of blood atonement coming from the mainstream LDS church has caused so many problems like Mm -hmm. has caused 
so many murders, really, I want to say. Like, the idea that it was ever a thing is so frustrating. Maybe we need to do a video about that, about the history of it. Leave in the comments if you want us to do a video about where did this blood atonement thing come from. I know most mainstream LDS members don't even know that it was something that was ever talked about or taught. You right. know, and when they hear things like this, like the LeBarons, okay, they're using blood atonement. What's that from? Oh, that was, you know, taught by so-and-so anywhere in the history of the church. First time I heard it, I was like, I can't even believe that is a part of my church's history. Right. And so... A lot of people God. say that it originated from, Bring or at least, at least the, the, the main idea throughout the fundamentalist groups originated from Brigham Young, is what, is what most people believe at this point. Did the FLDS teach about blood atonement? Not that I'm aware of. That's something, too, that I'm, I, I know, and we saw this within the LeBaron group, or at least the Ervil side of it, which mm-hmm. was called the Lamb of God. Church of the Lamb of Church God, Church of yeah. the Lamb of God, which was the one that Ervil started. He started creating a militia. He started training people how to fire guns and, and started bringing in all of these weapons and things. Now, as a young boy, I do not remember that kind of thing ever happening within the FLDS church. I do know that there were bodyguards for the leaders and that they had weapons. And I don't know what kind of training may have been going on in different families that I had no idea about, but that was never something that I experienced. So for me, that seemed so crazy and way, way out Mm -hmm. there. They, They were creating their followers to basically prepare them to kill. And so that's a very frightening thing. And, and that's one of the reasons I wondered if, if these women eventually, at least the ones that followed Ervil, they went along with things because they were afraid of their life. Oh, 100%. And I think they start, they start hinting at that t- kind of towards the end of this first episode as they're talking about where he sent one of Ervil's wives and one of Dan Jordan's wives. Mm. He sent you know, two women to go and kill Roland Allred. And that's kind of where the episode ended. But they had mentioned too, like, of course they were going to do it or else, yeah, they knew what was going to happen to right. them. Because before this, kind of backing up just a second here, you know, he has his militia go and burn down like this entire little Multiple town. Multiple houses. Yeah, and killed a couple people. Uh-huh. They were shooting. They were pulling, you know, they set something on fire, getting everybody to come out. And then they're opening fire on all on of them. women and children, too. Yeah, it did not matter. And the fact that this is all their family. Like, this is the LeBaron group, right? This is a group of a thousand people. Then there's this hundred out of them that are going and trying to wreak havoc on the rest of them to make them completely fearful after they kill their prophet. So they have their prophet killed. Again, you have to remember anytime a prophet is killed, it's going to be so extra sensitive because Joseph Smith was killed, Mm -hmm. right? By an angry mob. And so the founding prophet of Mormonism, being a martyr and being killed like that, and then to have your next prophet have it happen again, is just like a whole other level of one, they are gonna believe their prophet died as a martyr, it's a good man, just like Joseph Smith. And then they're also going to have that heartache of like, how did this happen again? I feel like. Well, and the ones that still follow Joel, which was the brother of Ervil, which mm-hmm. Ervil killed, which is or just... had killed. Or yeah. had killed. But mm-hmm. the, fact that, the fact that his own brother... Ugh, anyway, the followers of Joel, uh, they actually were under the impression that it was Ervil. A lot of them believed it was Ervil. And so they actually turned him in to the authorities or they... Mm-hmm at least told the authorities that they believed it was him. So thank goodness they didn't just 
assume it was a random act or something, and yeah, they actually they were. were under the impression that this must have been Ervil. Yeah, but they were living in so much fear. And then Ervil's family, you know, he's moving him around the United States. He's moving him around Mexico. And these kids are living in, in fear and talking about living in like a thousand square foot house with mm. or 1500 square feet house with like 20 kids and three wives and just constantly like never being able to go outside because Ervil's on the run. Like you said, thank goodness they said, hey, we know that this guy is in charge of it, but in Mexico, he was able to, like, he was convicted, and then it was turned around on a technicality the next day, and he's back out. So, again, coming down to that money, power, bribery, it's just so sad to see. And he just was moving people like chess pieces, is how they were talking about. But the fact that he was able to be released from prison so quickly after being what seemed like he would be put in prison for life, mm-hmm. and then to be released so quickly after... I mean, what's that going to do for to his ego? And and even maybe convince himself a little bit more that, oh, maybe this is what God wants me to do. And convince his followers. I think they even said that him walking away proved he was the one mighty and strong, right? And again, that kind of reminded me a little bit of Warren Jeffs. Warren Jeffs has prophesied and said that, you know, he's going to be able to get out of prison. If for any reason, which we know he's not going to be getting out of prison, okay? Mm-hmm. But... If for some reason there had been a technicality and he had gotten out, how much would that have boosted the faith of every single FLDS member? Oh, huge. It would have been a, a huge testament of, of the truthfulness of what he's been telling us all along. Because, And that's what we expected. Mm-hmm. I was still he was he was arrested in 2006, so I was still there and going along with things for a couple of years after he was arrested. And I kept waiting for the day that he would be released or that he would break down the prison walls and walk free because that's how strongly I believed. And, and that's what my mother and parents and everyone in the church was saying is that he was going to break free. All we need to do is pray. We need to have enough faith and God would release him. So, I, I mean, I'll bet you Ervil took that, that little bit of him being released and just ran with it. Okay. I can I can totally see him going to his followers and saying, see, even Joseph Smith wasn't able to be released. That is how we know that times are just around the corner. The Savior is coming, and it is so important that we finish his work. This is what we have to do. And just I can see him running with that and just making his followers believe him even that much more. Yep, and he's going to continue to use his power and control to have these women. Again, the end of the episode ended with him telling and disclosing his plan of killing Rulin Allred, um, going up to Utah. He's mm. going to have Rena and Ramona go kill Rulin. And, you know, one of them being his wife, the other one was a wife that he had given to Dan Jordan. Yep. And it was, again, sad to see similarities of these men with money, power, greed, and then ends up with underage sexual... It ends up with sex at the end of it because even his wife that's going and being sent, you know, he molested her at 12 years old because he had the power to do so and then married her at 16 years old. Right. And it's so, oh, it's so frustrating, so frustrating and so sad to see that when these men in these groups get to a certain position of power and money, they almost always ends up with some kind of sexual harm being done. Oh yeah. Well, because they feel like they have power over everyone. And and so they, they feel that they have the power to do whatever they want with whomever they want and that that's going to be okay. I mean, 
There was even one of the ladies talking on this episode said that she was conceived in prison, in a Mexican prison, because her mom went, which was the wife of Ervil. One of them. One one of the wives of Ervil went to visit him to bring him food or something. And, and, And apparently that happened in the prison cell that he was in, which is crazy. But they did hint at the fact that he was very good at using money to bribe people. And so that even might be one of the reasons he was released. Maybe he paid someone off and oh, was, 100%. was released of, of a, a technicality, which was probably someone was paid off. Yeah. And so he was good at that. And obviously it worked in his favor, unfortunately. We should probably mention who Rulin Allred is. Go ahead. Because, you know, he was sent or he sent, Ervil sent a couple of his followers uh, to well, we one of his. That maybe more in the next episode. That's true. But they sent to, to kill Rulin Allred, and you got to wonder why. And we know now that he had some kind of relationship, or the the LeBaron family had some kind of relationship with the Allred family. And Rulin Allred being the one that was the prophet of the AUB, or the Allred mm-hmm. group. And so... It seems like, and they even hinted at the fact that he was just jealous, but they did have a connection from way back when. It wasn't just one, uh, some random church that he didn't agree with. He he knew of them pretty well, it sounds like. Yeah, it didn't seem like, I mean, we'll see more. Pro- I'm guessing that's what episode two is going to be about. But it wasn't like he was going after ruling Jeffs. Right. He wasn't just like, okay, every single break off. Now I want to go and just kill all the fundamentalist prophets. So mm-hmm. it definitely seemed personal and... Yeah, that's definitely where I think the second episode is headed Talk more that, into yeah. Rulin Allred, the connection there. I hope they go into the connection there. If not, we will try to deep dive the connection <laughs> right. there a little bit more and bring it into our next episode. But yeah. yep. if you guys want to hear more of what it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy or more reaction videos like this where we can share some insights into these groups and documentaries, then please like and subscribe. Yes. Thank you all so much for being here with us again today. And we look forward to talking with you soon. We'll talk to you all soon.